You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. And as a reminder, all the links for this show, the topics we discuss, as well as the links I've already mentioned are available on the podcast website at podcast.brettfisher.com. Also, if you have a moment, a spare little moment, let me ask you a favor. If you could do anything around ratings and reviews, whether it's in your podcast player or jumping onto you know, Apple or Google's websites for the show or in Spotify or you name it, we're on so many platforms now, I can't remember them all. But whatever your podcast player is of choice, if you could give us a rating or even a bonus review, that would be amazing. And I would be really appreciative of that effort. Because if this show is at all used to you, the real challenge is getting it in front of other people so it can be useful to them. And in order to do that, we've got to have the good ratings and reviews so that the algorithms of the internet can show everyone that this show exists, essentially. And if you're willing to do that, I am so appreciative. If you're not, that's fine too. Hey, the show's free. Check it out. And I hope everyone has a great new year. In this episode, my friend Victor Farsik, a Docker captain and a DevOps extraordinaire, is on the show at, for multiple times this year. He's been on the show. And if you've been listening for a while, he's actually, I think this is the third or fourth time. And we've been connected with the Docker Captain program for many years now. We've seen each other in cities all over the world. And I always love his YouTube videos, his podcast, his books, his live conference talks, and everything he, he does because he's very particular and he's very honest. And it's great to hear honest criticism about trying to use tools in the way that he perceives the CI and CD world needing to execute those tools. And to be honest, the guy is an expert in the CI CD community. He thinks a lot about this stuff. So I respect his opinion a lot. And over the last year, he has talked a lot about crossplane, which I have only dabbled with, but I haven't had a chance to really dig in. And essentially, this show is about crossplane. It starts out with us just catching up and talking about his new job working for Upbound, which is the crossplane company, and talking about his journey of CI, CD companies, because he's been with three or four over the last few years. And we eventually get into the style of automation that we're both expecting nowadays with the cloud-native platforms, the Docker and Kubernetes tooling that we're all getting used to, and how we perceive the future of automation, which is to me just bigger than CICD. It's really a single automation platform, ideally cloud-based, that will handle everything the devs, the ops, the DevOps, everyone involved, the SREs. Basically, how can we automate out repetitive problems that we all have to deal with? Repetitive tasking, failures that often might happen and we need to have a typical recovery pattern, you name it, whether it's CI environments for sales teams to execute on for new beta versions of a product on feedback, or we're simply running simple tests against our code base, or we're setting up environments and staging areas for certain teams to look at, or we're simply trying to automate to production. You name it, it's all automation. And we're really close to getting to, I don't know, maybe half a dozen major platforms out there that have their own YAML standard for how you configure and deploy stuff, but also are setting their own standard and ideas around how multiple teams can work together to automate their work. And that's really, I think, a big part of the future for engineers of any type, whether you're in ops or devs or DevOps or SREs or whatever your title might be. I really think that we're all gonna eventually be automation engineers as we scale everything. If you look back five or 10 years, when we talk about a little bit early in this show that you'll hear in a, in a minute, I talk about that you know we used to deal with a certain number of servers. We called those pets back then. We now have cattle. That's the whole pets versus cattle analogy that's been pretty common. But essentially what it means is the cattle are the nameless servers 
that we have to manage. And we're all getting to the point where we have way too many servers, way too many configurations or deviations, and we're all trying to manage that. And really, at the end of the day, the only way we're going to do that is with infrastructure as code and automation. Upbound's cross-plane platform is a really cool way, or at least an idea, we'll see if it actually becomes the way, but an idea around how we can use Kubernetes and its state engine to deliver infrastructure change and infrastructure management in an automated way where essentially the robots are taken over. So it's a great talk. We go on for quite a while. I always enjoy my talks with Victor. And please enjoy this episode with Victor Farsik of Upbound on DevOps automation with Crossplane. Welcome to the show, Victor. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It's again, been a while. Have, yeah, it has. It is, this is, I think, your second time this year, maybe? Uh, this year, yes. Uh, yeah, second time this year. Third time, I think, in total. Yeah. Part of the furniture. <laughs> so let's get some of this stuff out of the way real quick. You're now, uh, you're at a new company, Upbound. So your audience probably knows this. They see you on your channel all the time. We're going to talk about your YouTube channel, how the DevOps toolkit and that fantastic stuff in a minute. But what are you doing now? Give us a Victor update. So I'm developer advocate in Upbound. So basically the things that people know that I do completely outside of uh, company I work for, I do for the company I work for as well. So double basically, right? Uh, developer advocate, uh, you know sitting with community, helping people, doing the stuff that I've been doing for a long time now, except that since a couple of months ago, I'm getting a paycheck from a different company, Upbound. <laughs> nice. What Upbound is, I, I don't actually know. I have <clears> yet <throat> to play with it. What's the elevator pitch here? What are we doing with Upbound? So Upbound is a company behind a project called Crossplane. And Crossplane it's hard to explain, actually. So think of it as control plane of control planes. Let's say that you are interacting with AWS, right? You use tool, whichever tool you're using, doesn't matter. Send request to AWS API. And behind that API, there is a control plane. Most of people do not know that there is one, but there is one, right? Control plane that is managing whatever you specified in that API request. And the same thing goes for Google, for Alibaba, for Azure, for GitHub, basically, and almost any serious or big company provider has a control plane behind that API. We are trying to democratize that, right? We are trying to make a control plane that will sit on top of and do the things that control planes do, right? So first of all, standardization, right? Hey, this is how you define stuff to interact with, to define actually anything, AWS, applications, services, Google, cloud, Alibaba, whatever that something is on-prem. And then the idea is to move away from CLI-based operations, right? Do this, do that, into defining states of something and having that control loop that we all like with Kubernetes, right? When you tell Kubernetes, hey, create a deployment, it's not that Kubernetes creates a deployment. That's the easy part, right? Kubernetes is making sure that whatever you define is always there. If a pod disappears, it gets recreated, right? If something happens, Kubernetes' job is to maintain the state always, right? Yeah. That's probably its main purpose. Now, we're trying to bring that scheduling control plane type of capabilities to everything. So why not on infrastructure? Why not on services? Well, how about, hey, if you define my database should be like this, how about that database being always like that? Not only when you tell it to be like that, right? Yeah. So drift detection, reconciliation, basically making Kubernetes API work on everything, not only on applications. Yeah. And of course the prerequisite here is that you at least know some stuff about Kubernetes, right? <laughs> yes. The assumption is that Kubernetes that actually, this is the real idea, or, or at least what I have in my head, is that we are moving towards a world where Kubernetes API, forget about Kubernetes scheduling and all those things. Kubernetes API itself is becoming a universal API, right? I, I believe that the fact that most of us, 99% of the cases, 
is that we use Kubernetes API to manage applications inside of Kubernetes cluster is in my head, just the first step, right? And we can see that Kubernetes, for example, you, you have completely outside of crossplane, right? You have examples where people manage their VMs through Kubernetes API. There is one of the providers of Mac as a service, right? Mac servers, also API, Kubernetes API, and so on and so forth. So it is becoming the de facto standard, Kubernetes API itself. So if you're not familiar with Kube API, then crossplane can be a bit tedious, but assumption is that you will be if you're not already familiar with it, right? Right, right. It's not a matter of if, just when. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, the main, main thing, besides what I said, not on the first page and stuff like that, but in my head, the main thing that we are really trying to do is what we call compositions. And that's to create opinionated tools and services, but not by a vendor, but by a company, which is what I just said is probably confusing, right? Now, imagine that you want a simpler way to manage applications or to manage infrastructure and what's not, right? Your first instinct is probably, hey, I will find a tool without me naming the tools, right? That out of the box gives me, give me easier experience with managing applications or infrastructure or whatever, opinionated tools. Now, that is great. That works fine. It works great, actually, but for smaller setups, once you're a bigger company, you cannot get off the shelf opinionated tool because it might be doing 90% of what you need, but then you will be faced with 10 or 20% that it doesn't. And you cannot modify opinionated tools precisely. Otherwise they wouldn't be opinionated, right? That's how you do stuff. So instead of that, the idea is, Hey, how about we create tools that will allow, let's say you, Brett, let's say that you're an SRE or something that you create service that developers can consume to create infrastructure or services or applications to manage them. So kind of like a tool to create opinionated tools. <laughs> okay. If you understand what I mean. I got you. Yep. And I, while we were here, I was mentioning while you were talking, uh, your channel, I, I mean, basically I've been learning about cross-plane and the comparisons of it and the other tools that, in, that might, I wouldn't say compete because a lot of these are quite different in their implementation, but I've been learning about it on your YouTube channel. If you heard of Victor, you've probably seen his YouTube channel because he's doing great stuff over there. Tons of new videos all the time. And it's right up my alley. Like basically everything in here is stuff that I want to watch or know about. So yeah, go check it out. A DevOps toolkit on YouTube. And of course this all came originally from your books, right? But now it's like, we're both caught up and we're now in the world of video and you have some, well, I mean, besides, okay, so you have books, you have a YouTube channel. I, I think that I had, I had to ask this last time because I forgot about all the different stuff you have. Where else are you and what else are you making? I'm now focused mostly on YouTube and I'm focused mostly on short, short content because I really cannot get away from, I cannot get out of trouble that I'm in with the books that I published or courses or what's not, you know? Things, things are changing so fast and then it becomes deprecated. It all stops working so fast that if I create anything longer than half an hour, I cannot maintain it afterwards. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to go back to books and longer content, but simply it requires you to be not employed, I believe. I mean, you know, to have more than a weekend as your hobby to do stuff, right? For sure. And that's why one of the reasons why I've never been able to make a book is I... I don't know where I would find the time. So I'm always super impressed with anyone who makes long form content, right? A course or a book, something like that, where it's months of effort without any you know, real feedback, without, you know, see the community seeing it or you know, knowing whether it's going to work or anyone's going to like it. That's always, uh, I, I really respect that because I think it, there's also another discipline that I, I don't really have that well, which is constantly dripping content, right? So even the, the miracle of this YouTube live show existing for the last three years is not like me because being consistently on the internet and making videos is just not something I'm sort of a fits and starts haphazard with it a little bit. So it's so bravo. And thank you for all the great stuff you make on YouTube, because I also use it to learn. And surprisingly with my clients, people will mention your stuff to me, not knowing that we've known each other for years. They'll say, Hey, have you seen this channel? What do you think of this video? because they're often trying to adopt these technologies as well. And then they'll find your stuff and they'll ask me what I think of it. And I'm like, well, Hey, if he likes it, <laughs> I'm good. I don't really, I don't have an opinion more than you. So thank you for that. So lately you've been also, talking a lot about you know, DevOps automation. So 
I want to get into that, but yeah, I mean, I always talk about automation because I'm lazy. I don't want to do stuff. Yeah. Automation comes from lazy engineers. Yeah. That's how we got into this mess. When I was managing one or two servers, I didn't have to be that lazy. I mean, it was really just making scripts, but you didn't have to scale. And now that we're all dealing with dozens and hundreds and thousands, everything has to be automated or you can't even do your job. So I got in some quandary lately because I had a bunch of GitHub runners all running on servers and it was all automated, but then we enabled SSO and it was on GitHub. And it turns out when you do anything SSO, chances are a bunch of other tools are going to break, especially if you're trying to automate and it, and then also a lot of other tools don't support SSO in their downstream tools. So then when you have robots talking to robots, but they both require SSO or some form of new requirement, it gets messy and it broke everything. And, and I found myself actually having to touch servers for the first time in a while because our automation was broke and long story longer there, I was reminded how much it sucked and that I really needed to get back to the automation. This was Terraform Cloud specifically, but. Okay, Terraform Cloud, cool, cool, cool. No, no, at least you had it then defined as something, not, didn't need to go from server to server, right? Kind of manual, SSH. Right, yeah, so instead of doing automation in Terraform Cloud, we just had to run Terraform locally, but we were still able to use state in Terraform Cloud, which if anyone who's used uh, Terraform at all, and you're using it with more than one human, you then have to start worrying about state and shared state, and that becomes a thing that for free, Terraform Cloud will actually maintain that, essentially that file, the database of your state. And we also use Google Cloud heavily for that as well. But yeah, anyway, a recent problem I had in the automation nice. world that I was reminded of how much it sucked to have to SSH in or write an SSH, what is it? SSH, the one that does SSH across many servers automatically. SSHS or SSH or whatever that's called. I can't remember the name of that one. I don't know, man. I started using CF Engine before oh. so long ago that I, I don't remember when I, when I did SSH to more than one server. Yeah. Jerome Petazzoni, I think, who turned me on to the SSH. Basically, you throw a command and it will do that SSH into a list of servers in a text file and then do it. Uh, nice. The same thing on all of them. It was more simple than that. It's a simple SSH for loop, essentially. I'm going to throw you some questions. One of them was, sure. what happened to Shippa? Shippa, there was, how to explain it? Let's say that I did not agree with the roadmap of Shippa. Not that does not make Shippa good or bad. It's not really about judging how good it is, but simply artistic disagreement. And I think that when you work in a big company, like hundreds or thousands of people, then you can move around in a small company, like 20 something people, everybody needs to be hundred percent aligned. And I simply wasn't aligned. Again, not that they're doing something good or bad, but I wasn't aligned and I thought it's uh, best for everybody to switch, yeah. to change. Well, I appreciate that honest answer. Sometimes it's a little, you don't always want to ask people why they left because none of us want to throw a company under the bus, but uh, we're all moving around. In fact, uh, some other friends of mine, I just heard today, a friend of mine that works at Docker is moving on and I'm going to miss these people, but we're all, people are all moving around and not always because of the companies related to. The next question may be a little more complicated. EKS, AKS, control planes have their own vendor lock-in. So how do you send the API calls to cloud vendors control plane? I guess this is maybe a, a specifically to cross-plane. We're talking about cross-plane yeah. talking to so, EKS. and yeah. mean, Simplified version is that, yes, we use API of a certain vendor to, to do the thing, which is a bit more complicated because of that feedback loop, because it's not kind of only when somebody needs to create something or update to delete, but it's, there is that constant communication with the API. Okay. State of this thing, and then compare it with the state that you have and figure out whether you need to do something and so on and so forth. And how it's done, I mean, internally it's painful. I, I kind of, I feel sorry for people who need to go through vendor specific APIs because they are complicated, complex and stuff like that. And that's why everybody likes infrastructure as yeah. code type of tools, right? Because really. They save you from trying to figure out APIs. And figuring out API is not a problem when you're one vendor type of shop. But the story is that there is no company right now. Hardly there is no there is any company that is not multi-cloud. Even if and, and by cloud, just to clarify, to me, cloud is Azure, Google, Amazon, but cloud is also if you use GitHub.com, right? You still need yeah. to do something with it. That's cloud already. If you use uh, Pipeline is a service, however, that's cloud as well. So everybody's multi-cloud. Everybody has at least two services from different vendors. 
And uh, figuring out those APIs, yeah, it's, it's complicated. And that's why we are all trying to standardize things. And when I say all, not only crossplay, kind of, you can see Terraform as a way of standardizing as well, and, and so on and so forth. The major challenge is that I have a feeling that there is no interest among vendors themselves to standardize, right? Which would be the ideal situation. I think if vendors would say, hey, this is the API, we are going to use the same as you and you and you, that would be brilliant. But that would probably create issues, legacy issues first. Who wants to rewrite everything? And then that would create competitive issues. Do I really want to be the same as Google and stuff like that? So we are stuck with tools that actually abstracts all that madness. Yeah, and that's why Kubernetes in some ways is a sort of an exception. And, and I, I completely agree with you on the whole Kubernetes API as the sort of the, the default standard. And that was, I think, one of the original goals of the project when it was started, getting a standard API that we could actually start developing against instead of cloud-specific APIs or tooling-specific APIs. And who knows in 10 years how many things will be using Kubernetes API to do things that are not necessarily, like you said, the scheduling or not using the Kubernetes scheduler for nodes. You know, I, th I feel like this is just the beginning. Like the cross-plane is early and oh, yeah. they're going to get to play in the space as one of the early ideas and early iterations. And yeah, I think we're going to have a lot more. I can make a bet right now that Kubernetes API is going to outlive Kubernetes scheduler because... As industry, we are creating strong dependency towards that API. And scheduler, hey, tomorrow somebody can come up with a different scheduler that is doing better work, better job than Kubernetes, and we're going to switch to it eventually, right? But API, yeah. those things do not change simply because there is a heavy investment, right, on all sides. End users need to invest to write all the manifests and what's or not. Uh, providers need to invest to create their custom resource definitions, which again, use that same API and so on and so forth. For good or bad, we are generating the dependency, which is going to have to last for many years. Yeah, yeah I agree. By the way, the SSH thing I was talking about was PSSH. That was like parallel SSH is I think the name of that tool I was having. I was thinking specifically of PSSH. Yeah, so we've talked, we've actually, I can't remember if on this show we've done cross-plane demo. I feel like the last time you were on, we did that. We did a basic no. demo of cross-plane. No, maybe I'm thinking of your channel. Maybe. Sometimes no. I get them confused. No, no, it could be, but I'm too old to remember I'm a fan of Crossplane for a long time, so I might have demoed it long before I joined Upbound. Basically, I joined Upbound because I fell in love with the product, and then I basically went to them guys and say, I should work for you. <laughs> I like this. The time for stuff, right. right? So maybe I did. One of the questions is, is Upbound similar to GKE traffic directory? If no, what makes Upbound unique? Is Upbound, Upbound so, a, just a company or is it a product? So think of Upbound as a company that is the major contributor to cross-plane project and that has enterprise type of solution on top of cross-plane, right? So there are some additional features, usually important to bigger companies that Upbound gives you. So think of it like uh, Terraform Cloud and Terraform, right? Not in terms of how it works, features and stuff like that, but there, there is an enterprise layer or commercial layer on top of uh, Crossplane. But yeah, Crossplane is the main thing, the main product. Yeah, okay. Uh, so unfortunately, I'm not familiar with GK Traffic Directory. Yeah, so it might be. What I can tell you without knowing what GK Traffic Directory is that vendors right now, like AWS and Google and trying to do something similar, parts of what Crossplane is doing. And the part that I'm referring to is that they're trying to create custom resources in Kubernetes that will for managing their own services. That's an yeah. ongoing work that started for a while now. There are also ongoing negotiations that they might be switching to use Crossplane as the main thing to do that, which I cannot say now, but how it's ongoing talks, right? Sure. But all the major vendors are one way or another, with or without Crossplane, are trying to make their services managed through Kubernetes API. That's a given that's coming, that's kind of unstoppable. And now, who will be the main tool in this area and stuff like that, that would be a separate discussion, but it's coming for sure. Now, yeah. if uh, that's what GKE Traffic Director is doing, then the answer is yes. If not, then the answer is no, because I don't know what it is. Yeah, so a related question is talking about the architecture of Upbound. Is it fair, and maybe you just said this uh, about Terraform, is it fair to say that cross-plane to maybe like this Upbound cloud is similar to Terraform versus Terraform, Terraform cloud? Or did you just say that? Yeah, that, that's what I meant. There is a cloud version that gives you 
cross-plane runs in Kubernetes. So cloud version uh, to begin with gives you managed cross-plane, right? So you, you can get for free or paying, depending on whether you're a free customer or paying customer, uh, control plane, meaning Kubernetes cluster with cross-plane they're running instead of you running it in somewhere yourself, right? And then there are some enterprise features related to security scale and stuff like that. Oh yeah, but yeah. The sure. core cross-plane, the, the, we, we are, there is a strict decision. We all 100% agree. None of those things are really sacrificing cross-plane. So we are trying not to really, we are not doing things like, hey, there is enterprise provider that allows you to do with AWS things you couldn't do normally for free and stuff like that. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's part of the challenge when you first described uh, Crossplane to me was which do you build first, the Kubernetes or the infrastructure to build the infrastructure? Like, how do you build the infrastructure? It's a chicken or egg problem. And so I could see very quickly where I would want to just gravitate to something like Upbound because the infrastructure to run my cross-plane so that I can then build my infrastructure gets to become a sort of a one-off. And I want to kind of manage all the things without having to worry about just the tool to manage all the things. And so I already like this idea of, you know, if I have small projects or if I have a, a huge team that's already doing all this stuff themselves, sure, they can run it themselves. But for a lot of us, we're short-staffed. We just want to get work done. And the work that we're doing is not the tools that manage the tools. It's usually people like you and I are not just supporting production for customers of products, but a lot of times our customers are the developers themselves of our DevOps tooling, right? Like we're serving two audiences there and the developers often have the insatiable need for more infrastructure, more places to run things and more and constant building of new automation because everything we're doing, if we don't automate it, then we end up getting, at least in my experience, you end up being too busy to help anyone because you're too busy doing all the things that robots should be doing. So I love all these things. So the last time you and I talked or the last time I watched a video about Crossplane was a while ago. Are you aware enough on the Crossplane side to talk about maybe some of the newer things that have happened? Has there been a big release lately? Anything like that? So big release is coming. And right now, very short term, the main focus is on provider coverage to get uh, all the hundreds and hundreds and thousands of services that you have in at least the big providers. Right. That's the focus right now. And then we're a company that really kind of very short iterations. So what will be Q1? Too far away to say, right? Right. Right. But right now, provider coverage. Yeah, because all these are all within the last few months. So there's some patch releases. So we're getting patches, looks like, to old versions. Those release notes are not really that relevant because Think of it similar to Terraform, right? Or let's say Jenkins, just not to use competition in any form of way. If you look at release notes of Jenkins, you're getting very limited picture because most of the things are happening outside Jenkins. And in our case, also in providers. So you would need to go to, uh, let's say, AWS provider to see what's all new there, right? This is core kind of um, engine behind it. Yeah. A random question I just had all year. I've been talking lots about GitHub Actions and even just, I think it was last week, I talked about Superlinter and GitHub Actions, especially for teams that are already doing so much stuff in GitHub. I've been looking at GitHub Actions as kind of like that. It's becoming my automation engine of choice or default rather. It's like the default place I go. And if that doesn't seem to be the right place, then maybe I need to use something like Terraform with Terraform Cloud. I could obviously run Terraform from GitHub Actions. But when I think about Crossplane, I think about, okay, actually in that case, it's now the Kubernetes cluster, wherever that might live, is now really my automation engine and it's making the decisions and storing state and doing those things rather than GitHub actions. Am I thinking of it correctly in that way? Yes. So your state is physically stored in ECD, right? Right. Like any other state in Kubernetes. And automation really, and, and this is one of the, big things, I think, and very important things is that it is Kubernetes native. And now when I say Kubernetes native, I don't mean because it, it's fault tolerant and scalable and all that stuff. What I mean is that it leverages ecosystem, CNCF basically, cloud native ecosystem, Kubernetes ecosystem, whatever you want, right? And suddenly you can do things with it that normally you couldn't do. Let's say that you want to apply GitOps on infrastructure, right? Let's say that you're using Argo CD or Flux to manage your applications. And you're using those things to manage your applications simply because those tools can only deal with Kubernetes resources. So you cannot use it for infrastructure. But since this is a Kubernetes 
set of Kubernetes resources like anything else, hey, all of a sudden, you can use anything that you can use with Kubernetes. Hey, is this how you monitor stuff, monitor your applications? Excellent. That's how you monitor uh, infrastructure or services. Is this how you do deployments? Excellent. You can manage your infrastructure and services in the same way. So a common thing and uh, among the companies that I'm working with, the most common way to actually use Crossplane is not through pipelines, but through GitOps tools like Argo CD or Flux. Now, pipelines still have a role. Pipelines might be doing something before you uh, apply changes or after, maybe they run some tests. You know, so there is a strong need for pipelines without a doubt. But when it comes to applying the changes of the desired state of something, then we are already talking about Argo CD, Flux, or whichever other tool you might be using. Real quick, the nature of Crossplane is because it's this automation engine, like Terraform, it's really all about the plugin model and the providers, right? Like that's really going to be the biggest way you interact with it. Because when I'm writing Terraform, I'm rarely talking to, mm. I'm usually writing in whatever the provider's values and attributes. And so it's almost like no. it, it can use Terraform pro providers as well. I can't remember. Oh yeah, and, that's something we are working on right now. But the answer to what you just said is partly yes, mostly no. Majority of users in companies who use Crossplane are not using those providers directly. You remember at the very beginning when I said tool to create opinionated services for the rest of the company? Right. So in most cases, ops people would create completely new interfaces that everybody in a company would use to manage something. Right. Let's say that you want to create a Kubernetes EKS cluster, right? You need EKS, uh, node group, internet gateway, subnets, VPCs, you know, madness, a lot of things. And then people would package all those into a completely new interface say, what do you care about? I care about uh, the number of nodes. I care about whether it's a small or big cluster. I care whether it's, I don't know, whatever. And then, okay, so here's the interface. I'm going to create a new CRD for you, custom resource. We call it compositions that will actually expose to you things that matters to you. Rarely, most of the people never use directly providers. Yeah, that's absolutely the thing that when I'm working with companies on implementing more automation, and often it's a DevOps team just trying to get the work, basically just trying to get the work done in a way that where we do, we realize that something is done more than once, we now automate it. Let's remove the DevOps human from the process. Let's give developers self-service, like all those core ideals of DevOps. And the thing that always gets me worried is when we go down this path of, yeah, let's make our own custom tooling for everyone that we're now then fully spending our time developing rather than moving on to the next problem. So I love this idea of more and more of the tooling being standardized and us being able to have lightweight wrappers. I don't know if that's the right word around that tooling yeah. for our own teams, right? Is it, what's the self-service portal thing that backstage or whatever it's called? Backstage, that, backstage, the yeah, yeah, yeah. one from uh, Spotify, I think, or something like that, right? Yeah, another open source project. Yeah, I haven't really used that heavily in any project. I've just only played around with it in my own. But I love the idea too, because that's one of the things that always ends up showing up is, okay, great. We have Terraform, we have Ansible, we have all these great tools and we got automation and, and now we need to get the, <laughs> the, the developers a web portal for it. And then that ends up being a whole side project and it's someone's full-time job now and the DevOps team to make a web app. And it's just, it's, it's another great example of how we shouldn't be doing that. But okay. Very quick, just because I forget to say it later, basically, the, the idea is, and, and I'm not talking about crossplane in general, the idea is that nobody should be reactive. Open a Jira ticket for me to create a cluster. I think that everybody should create services for somebody to consume. Yeah. Whether those services are internally consumed, they're externally, whatever. If you're an operations person, you should be creating AWS version for your company, right? Or let people use AWS directly, one of the two things. But you shouldn't be in a way kind of like, a stopper in a way. Hey, right. nothing can be done without me. You have to wait for me to develop so, the thing so you can develop your thing. And I'm always in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. If you look at the Kubernetes definition, if you're familiar with Kubernetes, the Kubernetes API. Now, what is important here is that API version, this does not come out of the box. You do not get this in any form of way when you install Crossplane. So I created it myself. But basically, imagine now I'm a developer who wants to manage my own infrastructure myself. And somebody tells me, okay, so this is the interface you can use. If you create something called composite cluster, you have some parameters, node size, small, right? 
I have no idea what is small in AWS. I do not care because me and operator and, and, and everybody else, we spoke and said, hey, in our company, we are going to enable people to create smaller, medium, or big clusters or whatever we agreed. How that translates into AWS is completely a different subject. That's my job. When I create a service for you, your job is to say, hey, I want small. Excellent. What is the minimum number of nodes? Three. Excellent. Right. Now, those parameters can be anything you want. It could be two parameters, 200, whatever we agreed that is the optimum level of interaction for uh, people who are not ninjas in infrastructure, but still should be able to manage it. In this case, infrastructure right. could be anything else. And there is a composition reference that I'm saying cluster AWS. If I would change this to cluster Google, then I would get a cluster in Google. If I change this to Azure, I would get in Azure or whatever somebody created as implementations, right? Maybe people in my company created only AWS implementation of this interface. Maybe Azure and Google, whatever we agreed, right? So this is from the end user perspective, developer, whomever is managing infrastructure in this case. Now, from the perspective of SRE, DevOps, sysadmin, whatever, all this happened, I created two things. I created definition KTS that says, okay, so the YAML that I used before as an end user, somebody created open API schema and said, okay, this is the schema. This is the interface and it has version node size and min node count. Basically the schema of the new interface that we are going to create for everybody else. And this is where I defined composite cluster, right? And then Crossplane converts this open API schema into proper Kubernetes custom resource definition. And then you have that schema and then you have implementations of that schema. You can probably guess how this could be many implementations. It could be clustering Alibaba, whatever, right? You can have any number of implementations of that schema. And in this case, those 10 lines of YAML that I showed you will be converted. And this is similar to Terraform, right? Would be converted into what really needs to happen. You need a route table. You cannot have cluster without route table. You need to have a gateway. You need to have a subnet and more subnets. And uh, you know, <laughs> this is the implementation of that interface. And this yeah. is really bare minimum in AWS that majority of people cannot know, will not know, do not care about. Right. right? So it's kind of figuring out what you care about and exposing what you care about to everybody and made custom for your needs, whatever. You know, in one company, everybody might care about subnets. In, a, in a, some other company, I don't care about subnets that somebody else is problem. Okay, so you don't have subnets as an option, right? The interesting thing that you're talking about there is that because Argo is really just applying manifests, it doesn't, and, and yeah. this is a question as much as a statement. It is, so Argo doesn't have to know cross-plane, doesn't have to know custom, you know, CRDs, uh, all these custom resources that you make or cross-plane makes or whatever. Its job is just to make sure things are applied and that they're healthy and, and where they are. And, and exactly. like you're saying, yeah. Exactly. All those things were created, right? The things that you might or might not care about, subnets, they're, they're all Kubernetes resources, internet gateway, route table, blah, 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 blah. And you got all that simply because in imaginary situation, I as an ops person spoke with you and everybody else and said, okay, well, what do you need to manage infrastructure yourself to be autonomous without spending seven years trying to learn all the things that I know, right? I, I want right. to give you a service. You right. need to tell me, you're my user. You need to tell me what you care about and I will make it happen. The same thing if you are a front-end developer, your users want to click buttons and do something in your website. They don't want to learn HTML and JavaScript, right? Yeah. Uh, but you still want to give them a service. They're, they're not sending you emails saying, okay, now I want to log in to your website. So that's a middle right. ground. You have a service without knowing all the details. So if that makes uh, sense. It does. And I'm actually, I'm already imagining the, what we're doing here then is if we're, Let's say you and I are the DevOps team, and then we've got a developer team that really just, we want to give them self-service here. So we're probably creating a GitOps repo or whatever you want to call it. The infrastructure is code repo. And instead of necessarily mm -hmm. having a, the traditional Terraform and Ansible and the shell script loops and all these things that we might have in there, what we're doing is we're 
you and I define what it means to create a cluster on our own or a new VPC or whatever. You and I are defining that. And then this is the interface. This is the resource we're giving them. And so we would give file sample maybe. And then yeah. when they need to do self-service, they're going into that GitHub repo or Git repo rather. It can, it can be stored anywhere, but that Git repo and say, they'll basically look at this YAML manifest, which is way less complicated than what you and I would know. And they're just going to copy that. Maybe we have sort of a directory structure to define certain things. And then they're just editing that, making a new copy, whatever. Argo picks that up, applies it to the cross-plane API, essentially inside of Kubernetes, the, that controller picks it up. And then the AWS infrastructure is created on for them, but it's created in the way that we want it to be created. And so they don't have to be AWS Correct. experts. We don't have to be a cog in the wheel and they don't have to wait on us to do something. It, it's almost like the dream of where you and I, I mean, I've talked about this with so many people where developers love Compose YAML because it doesn't require them to know everything in order to do the basics of their, their tooling. This is just a different way to do it, but it's essentially kind of taking this, I don't see anyone doing Compose for infrastructure. So this is actually great because this gets us closer to that model of a simple opinionated ideas that you and I are making for the dev team and then giving it to them so that they can just copy and paste files essentially in Git and then boom, the infrastructure shows up and maybe there's probably something that we automate with GitHub issues or something like that that would then give them the information they need to move forward, VPC IDs or whatever they might need out of this. Does that sound right? Correct. Okay. That's right. The only exception is that it's not really... I think of infrastructure as being a beachhead where we are starting or where we are seeing adoption, but it's basically anything. Like, I, I don't have it in this example, but the cluster that I'm creating, once the cluster was created, the same composition could have installed Istio because all our clusters have Istio. Whatever that something is. Oh, you need a database like Postgres as a service in Google attached to that cluster. Yeah, I mean, whatever somebody defined. Yeah. It's, the analogy that you said with Compose, I haven't heard before, but I love it. It is actually, from the end user, it feels like Docker Compose with the major difference is that somebody in your company defined what the format of Docker Compose would be. Right. Yeah. And instead of this all being, because traditionally, this would start out with a decade ago, let's say 15 years ago, you and I, if we were going to automate this, you and I would probably make some shell scripts that would do either a bunch of Ansible or SaltStack or whatever. We were all using Chef and Puppet and stuff, but we wouldn't give that directly usually to the team of developers because they didn't want to know all those tools. So we would then wrap it in some sort of custom tool that we made, and then now we have to maintain. And that's highly opinionated. If we brought on a new member to our DevOps team, the problem is they don't understand all that. So they now have to learn all that script and code because we've made this opinionated stuff. Whereas now what we're saying is essentially that you and I, our, our DevOps opinion is really just YAML and the interface that they're using is a even shorter YAML. And I've found even this year, I've been on this project with a larger team where we're doing that exact thing, but we're not quite, we're not using Crossplane yet. So we're still creating some of these highly opinionated shell scripts, Python scripts with a whole bunch of Ansible and Terraform behind it. And so it really adds to our complexity because it's probably three tools that when the, the developer interfaces, they sometimes have to copy and paste Ansible or Terraform or something like that, which isn't ideal because now they're having to learn even more things when we're usually already asking them, hey, you at least have to maintain some basic manifest for Kubernetes. So they're all kind of having to learn some of the basic, even just the structure, right? Like just the structure you have there of there's an API version, there's always a kind, there's always some metadata, there's always a spec. And eventually they're all going to be used to that. I think like you're saying, years from now, we will all have at least some experience in manifest, whether that's a Helm or a customized or just pure up manifest. We'll have some of that Correct. YAML understanding. And the fact that this is already in the Kubernetes language of YAML, I think is just a huge win. Of course, you and I have seen many different templating systems for Kubernetes before. I think at some point there was like a hundred different ways to implement applications on the Kubernetes spec. So this is one more, but as long as it keeps pretty simple, I mean, if you were to say there's 300 lines in this YAML file and that's what developers have to interface with, that's when I get kind of, yeah, it looks hard, yeah, I mean, the EKS, yeah, it, or whatever. I mean, this is EKS, but uh, this wouldn't be much different if it would be a Kubernetes application, right? Defining something in Kubernetes requires hundreds of lines of code, uh, YAML, as a minimum, whatever the something is. And yeah. one thing that you mentioned a minute ago is uh, you said a Kubernetes application. 
And I freak out whenever I hear that because there is no such thing as Kubernetes application. And Kubernetes itself was never designed to provide that. Kubernetes is a set of building blocks, right? You have ingresses and services and virtual services and what's not, right? We are still did not get to the point that there is a widely adopted thing like application Kubernetes. Yeah. I mean, there is open application model, right? That allows you to define something called application that makes sense from the application perspective. But when you think about it, a collection of ingresses, services, deployments, and virtual services and stuff like that, that's not an application. If you would go 10 years back in time and somebody would show you all that and say, this is how you define an application, that person would call you think that you're insane. Those yeah. are the building blocks. We still need those abstractions on top of them. Like open application model, right? I'm not now advertising crossplane, nothing to do with crossplane. Open application model has a tendency of giving us something called an application that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, I'm now realizing I'm kind of doing this and we haven't talked about this heavily on the show. I will probably have someone from Replicated on the show, but I've been working a lot with Replicated, which is a slightly different problem set. Replicated the company is building these kinds of application abstractions on top of Kubernetes for shipping traditional COTS. And their, one of their open source project is called mm. COTS, K-O-T-S. And you're exactly right, like kind of like what Crossplane does, they're creating that layer of ideas of what is an application. And underneath, it's technically using Helm charts and customize and some of their own CRDs that bubble up. But at the end of the day, what the developers know is that at some point, they're probably interfacing with a Helm chart or a customizer or a straight up manifest for their app features like services and deployments and stateful sets and whatnot. But the rest of the DevOps are all dealing with ingress and storage and we're doing all that. And then they provide this, I think they actually call it a API is COTS, you know, beta, B, beta V1 or whatever. And the kind is an application, I think is what they call it. And it really just says, yep. hey, what's the version of the Helm chart you're using? What, how do we describe your application to a human, like the readme, release notes, that kind of thing. And then they basically, that's called K-O-T-S, COTS, COTS.io, I think is their open source way of doing this. But it's an open source tool that this is really designed for if you're shipping traditional, like enterprise software that usually would be, you know, back in the day it was shipped on a CD, but now maybe it's a download of your application, but you want it to be standardized on Kubernetes and Kubernetes is being that common control and application runtime plane, then that's how customers interface with your app now. Instead of your customers using Helm directly, because, you know, if you're making software for your clients, th sometimes they want a Helm chart. Sometimes they don't even know Kubernetes that well, and they're like, well, that's too much. I don't want to have to learn Helm or whatever. So COTS kind of becomes that middle layer that says, hey, we're going to worry about Helm and customize as infrastructure for you. You just, it comes with an admin panel that you can use and, or a, a CLI, I think it's a crew plugin for the Kubernetes CLI. And it's an interesting idea. And these are kind of not solving the same problem for the same group of people, but it, another interesting way that we're all essentially taking Kubernetes as the common plane for so much, whether it's automation or runtime, or like you're saying, a state, like in a lot of times, in this case, it's state and differencing it. And it's, uh, I think eventually there's going to be a point where and it's already happening where you and I, at some point, maybe don't even have to be Kubernetes gurus just to get our job done because yeah. everyone else is running Kubernetes for us and we're just using that basic API of the resource list, right? The versions of the resources, the API spec. I'm just the, repeating what you already told me. The future of Kubernetes in my head is the same as the future of hypervisors. Mm. Nobody cares about them anymore. Right. Everybody uses them. Whenever you create a VM, you're using a hypervisor, but hypervisor is too low level for you, right? Yeah. I mean, some people do care about hypervisors. They're obviously people who, who are writing hypervisors and, and doing stuff in yeah. that. But for majority of people, it's around. That's the future of Kubernetes. Kubernetes itself alone, that will disappear. That will become, hey, like uh, Linux kernel. How many people care about Linux kernel? Right. 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 There's hobbyists and there's those of us that are curious, but how many people need to know about it in their day-to-day -day job? Usually only when things go <laughs> wrong, do you have to actually learn about the, those deep, uh, deep level tools when you're troubleshooting. But to a lot of us nowadays, if there was a hypervisor problem with something, we were probably just recreating the VM. Like we're not, 
troubleshooting the hypervisor or even changing out the hypervisor, right? Like how many times in the last year have you had to care about which hypervisor you're using on AWS? We just use the default and we don't really care that they have an option. Great example. We've got some more questions here, by the way. You think Crossplane oh, will shoot. replace Terraform in the near future? I'm too biased to answer that question, right? Yeah, that's right. You know, we're going to have an unbiased opinion due to the <laughs> nature. But the reality is my answer, if someone's going to have an opinion here, no. Uh, it's not that it needs to replace Terraform. It's that both of these technologies can exist and they probably will be still an excellent use. I mean, there's lots of places where Terraform still isn't replacing Ansible, but Terraform... Hey, mainframe. Is... <laughs> Nobody replaced mainframe yet. Oh, Whenever I go, there is mainframe running somewhere. Yeah. I think this is another tool in our tool bag, right? Just a year ago, you were talking about this new idea of Crossplane. And now I can already see where as long as we've got enough providers in there for me to get the job done, I'm going to very quickly make this my preferred tool because it has more abstractions. It solves more layers of the problem. I would really love it if my developers didn't have to know any Terraform in order to get their job done. I'd much rather, because they're already in YAML, we can't keep them out of YAML. They're getting used to YAML. <laughs> and especially because we're saying, hey, if we're the ones that are advocating for Kubernetes, they're probably interfacing with some sort of Kubernetes-like YAML file. And if we can just let them live there, I see it as a win, man. I see it as a big win. Yeah. Uh, there's a joke that you don't have a book on crossplane, inconceivable. I, I haven't funny. wrote a book for over more than a year now, and it's already a problem. Yeah. There's a question I missed where the three nodes in AWS, where are these nodes created? Yeah, you defined that in the YAML. Sorry, that was a question's a little yes. uh, dated, but yeah. Let yes, me, uh, so it's that, that huge YAML. This is kind of like implementation that you would need to do no matter the tool. So I have a cluster, I have a node group. So I'm saying, hey, when you get from the original manifest, the sub, when somebody says parameters node size, convert that into instance types, simply because that's AWS. I don't know, Google would be something else because it depends on their API. When you say node size, I need to put something here and that something needs to be transformed. When you say small, you mean T3 small. When you say yeah. medium, you say this, because that's what AWS understands. I mean, I could have used directly T3 medium, and then I wouldn't need this transformation. But I imagine in this imaginary situation that, hey, the users don't want to care about whether it's T3 is too large or whatever. Right, right. And especially whether it's T3 or they're using another non-T3s, whatever, C something, M something. Are something that's a great, yeah. Cause I know like for us, especially the teams I've worked with, a lot of times there's that AWS infrastructure person, right? There's that person that happens to be the best at knowing all the knobs and dials to twist in AWS and their determination is, Hey, especially when it comes to cost, right? There's someone who's got to deal with budgets and they're like, we're going to shift everything from T3 to something else, because the way we look at it, all these things are going to be more effective over here because of the, our workload types. And now you can basically change that, right? It's another layer of abstraction. The developers don't care because you just shifted the, the type. I'm imagining that this is almost like, is this a good analogy of Terraform versus Terraform modules? Like a lot of times with DevOps, we're creating Terraform modules that are reused maybe in a different repo and a developer's making a simple main file in Terraform that's accessing our opinionated DevOps module. It would be yeah. like uh, me creating Terraform modules, right? Yeah. The Major difference is that here you get a real definition of something, not kind of like properties file, which is, which I right. assume in that context, you would be probably changing values file uh, of Terraform or something like that. But more importantly, which kind of might not be obvious, there is a huge difference for good or bad. It, it can go either way between something being defined in a server and exposed to an API. And on the other hand, CLI transforming something to something. So it's not that you are, let's say this would be Kubernetes that I give you this simple application, something, and then this CLI tool converts that into ingress and deployment and stuff like that and sends it to Kube API. No, that object, that resource type does exist in your cluster. Right. Kind of like that transition is happening after the API call. You get a new API format in a way, right? Right. Well, and the nice thing about the YAML, I mean, that's a simple map for you in YAML. So that's not like some other language. So if someone was curious about a small, medium, large, for example, and they're like, well, what is the small, medium, large? They can simply go look. They don't have to 
uh, go, well, I don't know how to read HCLL or this is a, <laughs> this is in some bash script someone wrote that tr translates it into AWS CLI calls that have these one-off long command lines. I mean, I've seen all, we, like you, I'm sure we've seen all the different types of this stuff where people try to abstract stuff out and it always ends up in some highly opinionated DevOps team abstraction that is very specific to that team or that company. And I, I don't know about you, but I see this trend where <laughs> we're constantly, we're, every team I'm working with, they're always hiring Right? They're always looking for another DevOps person. They're always looking for more developers. And so I think it's even more our responsibility as DevOps to pro professionals to use more of the standard tooling because we can't expect that new person to onboard to hundreds of custom scripts and automations. And we made a Golang tool just so we could automate out our Terraform. And now you have to know our Golang in order to know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> Not that I'm anti-development, <laughs> but I, I look forward to cross-plane being more popular and more standard so that I can, just like Kubernetes is, I can start to expect people coming in my team, you're going to know Kubernetes, at least at the API level in the basic command line. I can now expect that. Whereas five years ago, we would expect you knew ter some Terraform or Ansible, like we're getting more progress in that world, at least. I feel like Kubernetes is getting to that point where we're expecting that of our new people. Uh, I could be wrong, maybe. No, that, at least with all the teams I'm working uh, you, with, that's you, their minimum higher requirement is you know Kubernetes. Fucking bet my house and everything, my career and everything that, that that's the state that's unavoidable. And so Kubernetes is here to stay for a really long time. And that's not because it's good or because right. it's bad. Simply because the amount of investment that the world made into Kubernetes guarantees that it stays. So it's not about quality. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that it's not good, right? But simply, if every single software vendor in the world right now invest most of its budget to Kubernetes, Kubernetes cannot go away. So because yeah. that type of investment cannot be removed. Oh, next year, I don't want to do it. So right. we will have to learn to live with it. And now I see it as if it's bad, kind of like it's good, but that doesn't matter what you think about it. It's here to stay because of the investment. Right. Yeah. And, and, and obviously that, that's the kind of thing we always have to take to go with the bad. I mean, for a lot of people, Docker is still not containers technology in general is a heavy lift for a lot of people that are sort of laggards in the technology world that they're now getting to it, but there's a lot of effort into it. I think I was just talking with some people that were a friend was leaving their job because they got a new CTO that's now like anti-container everything. And because they view it as a burden and as a huge lift for the organization, for everything to be encapsulated and Docker files, and they want to just do pure VMs. There are always going to be those one-offs and nothing is for everyone, but I feel like you're right that like the net positive of Kubernetes is that we all now have a common way to describe and to run. And it's a language now and human language for us to all talk back and forth. And why not use that more and more and more? I think obviously the biggest complaints about the YAML is always there's so much of it, but we are just now proving that not everyone has to know all of it. Like we can have these chunks where the gurus that need to know it, know it, and then now the people that don't have a much smaller not chunk to, to realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the problem I think is that many people do not understand that Kubernetes was never meant to be used by anybody directly. Mm -hmm. That was never the intention. And then that's where the conflicts start. It's too complex. Yes, because first of all, because Kubernetes is doing things that we could not do before to begin with. So, right. Yeah. Show me how you can do the same things that Kubernetes does in a less complex way without Kubernetes. Right. Now, the question whether you need those things, that's a separate discussion, right? You might not. Yeah. But going back to what I said, yes, if you really go through history of and design choices and stuff like that of Kubernetes, Kubernetes was always supposed to be the platform to build platforms, a base, extensible base. And we are still too early in this whole story. That yeah, the we life did, cycle. We, yeah. we do not yet have the answer is what is the layer that you you should be using. We don't know that yet. That's coming. But Kubernetes itself is not the end game, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you showed the example because I think that really nails it for me. I think I'm more on board. Not that I was not on board with uh, the new ideas uh, the Crossplane is showing off, but I didn't quite see the application for me beyond existing tools. But showing this way of abstracting while not completely rewriting the book on the abstraction, which has been the challenge, I think, a lot of ways in the past. It's like, now there's another thing they have to learn. A and that's the way to go. All right, so I've got a few more rapid questions for you. Thank you so much for staying long. I know we stay a little longer than normal. Thanks for all the sure. questions out there. I'm going to throw in 
uh, a couple of quick questions. Just to confirm, Crossplane supports local development like K3D, Kind, and others. I'm assuming that's true. I'm running it in Kind right now. There we go. How do you learn so fast? That's a great, that's a great question to end the, the, the interview on. How do you learn? Uh, I don't know. I just play around. I think that I have the same mentality I had when I was 10. So I, I think that you might get the, the idea if I tell you the story or that actually the process I go through every time interview for a new job post. And that's kind of like, hey, what is this about? Will I be able to change what I do every single week? That's my requirement for a job. And many companies say no, of course, because it doesn't make sense for them. But I just like playing with stuff. And the more you play with random tools, the better you are at connecting the dots between those tools. I, I think it's similar to kind of playing video games. The person who played with uh, 27 different shooter games, he's going to be better than anybody else at a new shooter game when it comes out, right? Right. Because there are always connections, dynamics. And I'm just lucky, very lucky, I think, as a person that uh, for a long time I've been in positions in companies where actually I have a lot of time to play with stuff. Yeah. I don't think I'm better at learning than, than other people. Uh, just I have more time at my hands to do stuff. Yeah. And that's true. You have deliberately, like you've said several times today, you've deliberately sought out a place where you're allowed to do that. And I think that that's, even if you're in DevOps, if someone's in production with DevOps, I think it's also important that you seek out those roles that encourage you to play, give you that time, the 20% time to play on your own stuff, whatever, however the company does it. Because if we're all so focused on day-to-day -day operations that we can't take the moment to try something new or innovate on our own or learn something on our own without having to take weekends to do it, I think that there's an ultimate conflict between DevOps, the efficient forward progression of your team and not having the ability to learn. So if you're out there and you've got these jobs and you feel like they're not providing you that atmosphere for you to try new things and to take new tools that Victor's throwing out almost every week on the internet or whatever and, and trying those in real world scenarios, then that might not be the right team for you if you're someone that's craving all that. There are obviously some people that just want to stick with what they got and there, there are plenty of jobs for those people. But for those of us that yeah, are wanting new stuff. You lose something in either case. I personally feel that I'm not sufficiently proficient at anything, mostly because my current trajectory on purpose is that I like to try and do as many things as possible. And that makes you not being expert in anything, right? Right. So there is a value in saying, hey, I'm going to be a Java person and for 20 years, right? And that's great because that person is going to know Java inside out better than anybody else or like what I'm doing and what I feel that you are doing Brett as well. We are more kind of like horizontally spread Press people who, who, who want to be horizontally spread more, right? I, yeah, I have a term for it and I didn't make it up, but as I, I adopted this term of, uh, instead of a specialist or a generalist, there's a place in the middle. And so I like to be a jack of all trades, but master of a few where yeah. there, we all have a few tools that we've definitely got some real experience in and. We can go deeper, but that I horizontally, I think that's very important. Like you're saying that, you know, a little bit about a lot of different tools so that you have, because if we all know one, just one tool, it always becomes the hammer that we hit every nail with every project is Terraform because that's the only thing you know is Terraform. And that's part of the challenge of the art. And I've, I think the word virtualist comes to mind instead of a specialist or a generalist is of this virtualist in the middle. That is, you go deep in a couple of things and that's your area. Me, obviously it's very much containers and like Docker and uh, Kubernetes, but I don't spend much time in Ansible anymore. So I, when I'm working with teams, I let someone that's more Ansible, the, the latest Ansible rather than the Ansible I know from five years ago, I, I leave that to them. But I know a little, I know enough to know what it probably should be used and shouldn't be used for. And that, that's worked well for me. So it sounds like that's similar to what you're doing. But. Exactly. And, and I think that actually, Nobody in today's world, which is very different than 20 years ago, you know, 20 years ago, your company would be buying something from IBM and th there is one solution that does absolutely everything. But that world doesn't exist anymore and it will not exist anytime soon. That means that actually everybody needs to have wide knowledge. I have a theory that let's say that you're a developer, Java developer, right? If you don't know how to test your application, your application will not be testable. If you don't have idea how your application will be running in production, it will run very badly, right? Because 
the, the choices you're making while doing your part of the story, the work, are going to bad choices if you don't understand, if you don't bigger know picture. the whole story. Yeah. You need to have a bigger picture. So I, I believe that everybody needs to have a certain level of knowledge of almost everything. Now, how you specialize from there, that's a different story, right? Right. Yeah, that's kind of the unique path that I think we can all take. And that's our career. But yeah, having that understanding of the wider stuff is always... And that's the people I gravitate towards. I can always tell that the best pe people in a team are the people that they, they dabble in a lot of things, but they're really good at a few, but they still dabble. And that maybe should be a new product name. I just made it up. Dabble.io. I don't know if that exists, but... Well, thank you so much for your opinions. I always love talking with you. And we get so many great questions. This is why you're doing so well on your YouTube channel, killing it all the time with all these products and tools. Congratulations on the new gig. You can find Thank Victor, you. by the way, on YouTube. And both of us are on Twitter all day <laughs> chatting. So feel free to come talk to us, ask us questions there. Victor, what's your next thing? Are you doing some, are you doing another video? Obviously you're doing more videos. So can you give us a sneak peek? Like what's the next thing you're releasing? Yeah, I know only one video in advance. My, my brain cannot. I'm a very Kanban type of person. I do one thing. Next one is going to be about uh, Rancher Desktop. Nice. Rancher. And Darren Desktop. Shepard, the CTO, is also a, a, someone that has been on this show. And I love talking about Rancher tools because they always are coming up with good ideas on stuff. So I'd love to see an update on Rancher Desktop because I haven't really touched it in about a year. So it would be great to hear. So I'll be checking out your the DevOps Toolkit channel for that uh, as soon as it drops on YouTube. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. So thanks again, everyone. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.